0: You may stand.
1: 1924 tells us this is the day the lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it amen all right let's pray together father we're thankful that we have another day and father we're thankful that this is the day that you have made and help us to live life understanding that lord sometimes difficulties hit us but lord it's still the day that you made and you're with us father we're here to celebrate your presence in our life we're here to celebrate the blessings we have through your son jesus and it's in his name that we pray amen well good morning Good to see everybody today. The wind blew everybody in today. That's good. We're glad that you've come to worship with us this morning as we lift up Christ together. Please make sure you fill out your connection card, and those of you who are watching online, we ask that you do the same so we can keep contact with you. At this time, the praise team is going to continue to lead us in song this morning. Let's keep singing together.
0: That's (laughs) it.
1: I hope you guys are smiling during that one. There's nothing worse than leading that song and just like, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. <laughs> oh my. Well, you know, sometimes it's hard to smile. Life is not easy. Um, one of the ways we deal with life sometimes, and many people are good at this, is we stick our head in the sand. Uh, remember Hogan's Heroes in second service they won't know what this was but Hogan's Heroes you know I know nothing I see nothing so uh, Sergeant Schultz and I used to love that show but what we do is we kind of live life sometimes and we act like if we don't acknowledge something it's not happening pretty much since I've graduated high school I've struggled weight well really I didn't struggle because I just eat what I want I eat what I want but I didn't think it was a problem. You know, you look in the mirror and think, man, I look good. Whoever invented the camera ought to be smacked because it, <laughs> it doesn't lie. It doesn't lie. Sticking my head in the sand didn't make the problem go away. Ignoring the problem, refusing to accept the situation, doesn't mean there's not a problem. A lot of alcoholics or people with addictions, everybody in the world can see it, but they can't because they don't want to see it. We just ignore things in life many times cuz we really just hope they'll go away. Why do men not go to doctors? We hope that cancer'll just go away. At the conclusion of this letter to the church of Ephesus, Paul is going to conclude with all the wonderful things he's talked about, all the things he's talked about as far as if to fit into what we're dealing with with being an impactful church, being impactful Christians. He finishes off this book, this letter by going to the subject of spiritual warfare. There's a saying that, whether you believe in the devil or not, he believes in you. Spiritual warfare is real. It's something that every believer should expect to encounter in their journey with Jesus on a daily basis. Paul's perspective is unique and it's helpful for Christians because he saw the spiritual warfare in Ephesus. He did not look at all the paganism he did not look at all the temples and all the false false gods and say those people are the problem but he went to the root of the problem they were victims of the enemy they were engaged in spiritual warfare you know life can be challenging at times and sometimes it seems like nothing is easy there are seasons in our life where it doesn't matter my, my, the team I follow, the Cardinals, it seems like every single mistake they make is killing them. And we've all been in that kind of in that position before. There's times you make mistakes and everything works good, but it seems like, man, it gets difficult. It seems sometimes that our spiritual walk takes a step forward and two steps back. I've seen people who it's been so tough on them that they quit when things got tough. I've seen others who persevere through the tough times in life. When we look around us in our society, it seems like we are fighting a losing battle, doesn't it? It really does. It just seems like there's no hope. Society in general seems to be sliding so far away from God, it seems hopeless. You know, government is so far away from God, it seems hopeless. The church honestly seems to be fighting a losing battle in the arena of ideas. When we put our ideas out there, we get persecuted. Well, I don't want to use the word persecuted. We get attacked for it. We have all kinds of things, and people try to shut us down. It seems like those who have an anti God agenda are winning the battle. If you don't believe that, go to Target. Many Christians feel bruised, they feel defeated. I know many people are struggling with their faith. Somewhere along the line, we were fed this bill of goods and, hey, you come to Jesus and everything's going to be easy because you're following him. But really, folks, sometimes that can be the furthest thing from the truth. There's a battle that rages within us. There seems to be temptation at every turn. How does it, how does it appear that the church and Christians are failing in life and in the public arena, in the public arena of ideas? Because we have the greatest message ever, that comes to us from the creator of everything, the one who gives eternal life. Sometimes we look at it and say, life shouldn't, life shouldn't be this difficult, should it? Well, here's what it boils down to. We're all in a war. We are all in a war. And sometimes I don't think we grasp that. Sometimes I don't think we understand that. Because many times, because we're in this war and we're really not acknowledging it, we're not really seeing it for what it is, we will make people the enemy. We will make other things the enemy when we're really missing who really is the enemy. The other thing that we need to realize in this battle is when you belong to Jesus, you are a soldier for Christ in this battle. Before you gave your life to Christ, you were at war against him. When you come to him, you are with him. But when we come to him, we come into a whole new arena of battle. And that's the spiritual warfare that we fight, because here's what's happening. You defected from the enemy, and the enemy's trying to drag you back. He wants you back on his side. If we're going to be successful in our campaign against this enemy, there are some things that we need to do. It's time for us to pull our heads out of the sand. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 this morning. So we'll begin with verses Uh, I was going to say verses 1 and 2. Verses 10 through 12, it says this. Finally, be strengthened in the Lord in all the strength of his power. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. So the first observation we'll see from our text this morning is we're going to see a reality check. We kind of have to begin there because after all that Paul has written to the church at Ephesus about all this talk about, hey, uh, here's how you grow, here's how you essentially can be a Christian of influence, he starts this final section with the word, finally, finally. And that implies to us that this is important because if we fail in this realm, everything else that he's taught us really doesn't matter because we will fall prey to the enemy that we're fighting. In a battle, soldier, when there's a battle going on, what are soldiers expected to do? They are expected to engage in that battle. Soldiers are shamed if they refuse to go to the battle or if they run from the battle or if they don't think that there's really a battle out there and they just refuse to engage. Soldiers in a battle are expected to be strong they are expected to do the best they can to stand their ground when the enemy attacks. The, the enemy we face is formidable. Not some person that's, it's not some force that's weak and easy to defeat. So that requires us to be strong. It requires us to be alert. Verse 10 tells us: here's how you do that. You gotta be strengthened in the Lord. That phrase to be strengthened means literally to be empowered. We're encouraged to let God empower us to fight the battle. Throughout the Old Testament, when God sent the Israelites in different places, did the Israelites win battles? Yeah, they did. But how? Did did they just do it on their own? God came in and empowered them. Philippians 4.13, a passage that's very similar to this, reminds us, I'm able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. And that phrase strengthens me, once again, means to empower. In other words, I can do all things through him who empowers me to do these things. We suffer defeat in our battle when we decide to go it alone. When we decide to go rogue, we won't win. We can't face this enemy on our own. How many Christians do you know that when fighting, and particularly the battle against some sin, will go into the woods and hide, will run from the battle and let it come and catch them or they will try to defeat the enemy on their own strength because they're afraid to come in the church because they're struggling with something. See, when you're struggling, that's when you need to be here. You need to be here all the time. But when you're struggling, that's the last time you want to run because you can't do it on your own. Our soldiers, when they're sent into battle, they're not sent alone. They don't just grab somebody off the street and say, hey, we're going to send you to wherever. We're going to send you to where the battle is. Good luck no they train you they give support to you while you're in the battle our soldiers know their power and their strength comes from the military and their training and support they receive from the military that's what they do and so we never send soldiers with nothing even as soldiers are fighting in the streets at times they have air cover they got people snipers are watching you know they got people there to support them they're not alone You will only win your battle when you fight. You will only win your battle when you fight with others. Not with each other, but with others against the enemy. And the Lord has to be in the middle of it. We must understand that our power comes from him. Our arrogance sometimes says, I can do it. I can do it. I don't need you. I don't need him. I got this. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to think, to underestimate him. I don't know how many times... Uh, in coaching sometimes you know when when I was coaching our girls softball team we weren't good at first but then when we started getting good people still underestimated us and we'd take them by surprise and win and they'd be like scratching their heads how'd that happen or one of our tournaments our 14 year old girls played an 18 year old team that, a lot of girls going to college and we beat them like one to nothing those girls after the game I, I don't know why we didn't hit her I don't know and I, it was my daughter they were talking about and I just smiled I'm like because you couldn't See, throughout the Old Testament, as I said, Israelites, the Israelites would go into battle. God made it clear that he was the reason for the victory. When God called Gideon, Gideon's like, you know, he's not excited at first, obviously. I'm not sure he was ever excited about it. But he finally succumbed to the call, and he gets an army of 30,000 men. You think, man, that's, that's a good army. God says, nope, nope. And he winnows it down to 300 can you imagine taking on a force? We've seen the, the, you know, the Spartans and they're 300. But can you imagine facing thousands when you're 300? How do you win that? And they didn't have nukes back then, by the way. How do you win that? God, empower, God as a matter of fact, he told Gideon, you know, you got too many soldiers because what's going to happen is if you win a victory, you're all going to puff yourselves up and think you did it on your own. That's not how it works. And so God did this the reason those 300 were victorious is because God was with them. When you're in the middle of the battle for your life, you need to let God strengthen you. You need to let God's people know that you need help. You don't have to come tell people every detail, or you have to say, I'm struggling, man. I need some help. I need my fellow soldiers to surround me and to help me in this battle. See, the bottom line is outside of Jesus, we're powerless. Verse 11 tells us to clothe ourselves with the full armor of God so that we can repel the attacks of the enemy. And we'll cover that here in a few minutes. But our enemy is cunning and our enemy is sly. Paul uses the word schemes. Schemes denotes cunningness and deception. It's like I used to say back in the, I don't see it quite this way anymore, but back when, we were, when I was younger and you guys were younger too, we watched beer commercials you know, and that kind of the implication was that if you buy this beer, you're going to have hot chicks in your yard in the winter rolling around in bikinis. I don't know where they find these girls, um, but what they don't show you is, in extreme, what it does to people's lives. I can tell you countless lives have been ruined by alcohol because of the overindulgence and the lack of self-control you know they they glorify the media glorifies certain things but they don't show you the other side of it because see the enemy's cunning the enemy doesn't come up to me say jeff here's some crack cocaine man if you take this stuff it's going to ruin your life it'll probably take your life and we're gonna put a little fentanyl in it to make it a little bit more fun and you're you're probably going to die no that's not what you're being told oh you're going to feel like nobody's busy you're gonna feel so good oh you need to do this or the, we used to deal with a lot of meth heads back home. You know, the, the devil doesn't say, hey, when you start using this stuff, your teeth are going to rot and it's going to age you by 40 years. You know, it'd be amazing once in a while you see a mug shot on TV and the girl's like 25, she looks like she's 75 or 85, which is nothing wrong with that, but not when you're 25, you know. See, when we look at this, this situation, the schemes, this word also denotes An animal used of a wild animal who cunningly stalks its prey and unexpectedly pounces on it. It's a fun thing about cats. They always sneak up on stuff. But our society is crumbling because people are falling prey to these destructive schemes. They're falling for them. The church is falling for them. We're falling for the, the stuff that's going on in our society at Target and all these other places because if you don't go along with everything, you're a horrible human being according to society. That is sad because... If your house was burning down and people just walk by and say, you know, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to wake them up, I've used that before, are we being compassionate? No, we don't run by people's house and say, "Ah, your house is on fire because you're a loser. Look at you. You should. No, we go in with compassion and we try to help, but by the church just swallowing the deception of the devil and the schemes of the enemy, like the rest of society, we are not helping those people. We are not helping anyone. The church is crumbling when we, re- when we fail to realize that we're in a battle. The reason that we're told to stand firm is because those schemes are going to be easy to fall for. <clears throat> Standing firm is a military term that meant to hold on to your position, not to lose ground. You can't launch an offensive if you can't maintain what you already have. And if the church allows itself to keep getting pushed and pushed further and further and further back, it doesn't matter the other stuff we've talked about in Ephesians because we'll have no impact. We'll have no impact whatsoever because we're just going to get swallowed up. I've been told by some friends that were in Vietnam and you've seen the videos and um, the, the different movies about it that one of the toughest parts of that was to be able to tell who the enemy was at times because you couldn't always tell. They didn't all wear uniforms Sometimes that innocent-looking kid would come with a shoebox full of explosives. You know, you never knew, and it made it hard to fight. If we're going to be successful in our spiritual warfare, we need to know who we're fighting. Most of the time in the past, the church has declared war on the wrong enemy. We, The people aren't the enemy. The battle is fought on a higher, more tactical level than just the people. Verse 12 reminds us that that battle comes from a higher plane than any person. Those people that we see as the enemy have been taken captive by the deceptions of the enemy, and therefore that's who we're fighting. And they, are, they need to understand what's going on. Admittedly, some are willing participants of the devil's army, but most of them are deceived by the schemes of the devil. The biggest one we use today is, well, if you don't accept me and accept everything I do and acknowledge everything I do, you're an un- un- uncompassionate jerk, you're, you hate people, and if people don't agree with you, you hate them. And see, that's just, that's a scheme of the devil. Who, do, who, wants to be hate, who wants to be thought of as hating people? Well, I guess I better change my tune so that people don't think I hate them. When could you not disagree with somebody and still love them? When did that go out? When did that stop? Our society is getting worse and worse and worse about that. And it's easy to look at people and say, look, you're the enemy, you're the enemy. You're... No, they've fallen for the schemes. Let's look at verses 13 to 17. for this reason talking about what we just talked about take up the full armor of god so that you may be able to stand your ground on the day on the evil day and having done everything to stand stand firm therefore by fastening the belt of truth around your waist by putting on the breastplate of righteousness by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from from the good news of peace and all of this by taking up the shield of faith, which is able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the next check we need is an equipment check. Verse 11 leads us into this text that we've looked at, and it tells us that we are encouraged to clothe ourselves with the full armor of God. Why? So that we can stand against the schemes of the enemy, so that we can absorb those body blows as they come. Verse 13 builds on this thought, telling us that we have to take this full armor of God on so that we can have the strength to stand. We are told, do not let the enemy find you defenseless. Take up your armor. Do it without hesitation. And this command from Paul is not something, hey, we should think about it at some point. This is an urgent, right now command. How many people's lives have been destroyed, even ended, because they were unprepared for what was coming at them? You know, sometimes there's something looming in the horizon, they stuck their head in the sand, and all of a sudden they didn't see it, bang, it hits them, and their life is ruined. See, we're told to resist in the evil day. This phrase most likely means those critical moments in life when the devil assaults us. We know that this will happen, so we have to be ready. But if we're living life with our head stuck in the sand, we're not going to see these things coming, and when they hit us, we're dead meat. The stand also implies that we are to to rush into the battle, defending and attacking. Without the full armor of God, we won't be successful in this endeavor. We are to do our duty, and God will do his part. Don't lie on the couch and watch the battle. We have to be actively participating in that attack and in that defense. We are to take the enemy, and we're to do this by learning how to use the armor God has given us. There are several examples in the Bible of people standing strong and standing firm. David, Peter, John, Daniel, Gideon. All these folks stood strong with the Lord. And he, they, allowed, they, they, put on, they had on God's armor. These people stood their ground and they gained their ground in the face of opposition. Now, as you look at the full armor, God, I'm not gonna dig into it real deep because of time, but quite simply, just we'll, we'll touch on these elements. The belt was very simple, very simple part of the armor. But it held everything together. And without that belt, the tunic would get in the way and it'd flop in the way and you'd trip over yourself and your breastplate wouldn't stay in place, exposing your your chest to to damage. And the sword wouldn't stay in place because it'd be flopping around all over the place, probably stab yourself at some point. So that belt, which seems so simple, is so important. And when you look at the passage again, we're told in this passage that we are to put on the belt of truth. See, if we don't have the truth, what else matters? The truth is what anchors everything together. Paul compares the belt, that simple piece of armor, something that you would maybe never even think of, to truth. Because truth, just like that belt, holds everything together. A person with a clear conscience, who is a person of integrity, will be able to face the enemy without fear because they know the enemy can't pull anything up against them. Once lies start creeping into our life, guess what happens? Everything starts to fall apart. John MacArthur Jr. suggested this verse deals with the commitment needed as a soldier of Christ, that commitment to truth. And as a church and as individuals, when we let that belt go and we let lies and falsehoods creep in, guess what happens? We no longer impact anyone. Many people are willing to talk a good game, but they're not willing to get mixed and intertwined in the battle. You know, athletics, we see these athletes do great things. They do it because they were committed to what they were doing. It t- they took the time to train, they took the time to prepare, and as a result, they're successful. If you go into a gym and you see people who are really built, they've put a lot of work and a lot of discipline, and a lot of effort, they're committed to the cause. Only the committed soldier will win the battle. And then he says, hey, put on that breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate covered the soldier from the neck to the thighs. It protected the upper torso, the vital organs. It was also known as kind of a heart protector. It was made of leather, bronze, or for the wealthy, it was chainmail. Righteousness is an upright character. It's integrity of character. It's a life lived in obedience to God's word. So when you go into battle with this, you're going to be protected because there are not holes in your in your life that he can just destroy you. Verse 15 talks about the footwear a soldier cannot fight if their feet are in bad shape. And I know the military puts puts a lot of emphasis on footwear. Yesterday I had to get a pair of tennis shoes and I think I've just entered the senior realm because I had to we looked at I don't know how many pairs of shoes last night. Lots of them. And I just I won't buy Nike. So anyway, Amen. I just I yeah. I won't buy that garbage. I really don't want to buy Adidas either. When you got dudes wearing women's bikinis, and that's just a little weird, not for me. So I succumbed to my AARP status, and I got some new balances, and I hope they don't do anything crazy. But we tried shoes, tried shoes, and usually I can go in, here's a pair of these fit, hey, we're ready to go, not yesterday. I'm like, I feel like my wife now, you know? Um, (laughs) But I knew if I bought shoes that didn't fit and they weren't comfortable, I, even preaching would be miserable because, man, your feet hurt. And you know if your feet hurt, man, it messes everything up. And when you, if you go to engage the enemy with swollen and blistered feet, the fighting's hard. What is spoken of here is to be perpetually in a state of readiness, walking in the way prescribed by the gospel. We are to be firmly planted in the gospel of Jesus. The gospel is where we get our traction to fight and our traction to defend. And then he talks about the shield of faith. We use this to protect ourselves from the flaming arrows of the enemy. Life is rough, and the enemy is shooting at us all the time. We need that shield to protect ourselves. Now, for these soldiers, there were a couple types. There was one that attached to the arm that was used to repel close attacks. But there was also one, which this passage talks about, that was about four feet high, and it interlocked. So when the enemy would come, the soldiers, if you watch the 300, they did something very similar. And what they would do is they would get together, they'd call themselves together, and they would interlock their shields and protect themselves. So when the enemy came, they could repel the enemy with just, not. they don't need thousands of soldiers to do it. And so this implies that when we're to take our shield of faith, that we're not just taking just that one for ourselves, but we have that big shield that we interlock with each other and we help protect one another from the enemy's attacks. People say, I, can go, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. If you read your Bible, I don't think that really gels with that, but here's one of the reasons you can't, is if you're just standing there by yourself, you're going to get overwhelmed. You need other brothers and sisters in Christ locking shields with you to protect you. The the wall was called a portable wall, and it protected these soldiers as they stood side by side, and it was made for their protection. We're told to put on the helmet, and of course... um, You know if you don't have a helmet, bad things can happen. But when we have this helmet, it helps protect our head. The enemy is constantly filling you with lies. And if you don't have on the helmet of salvation, you will question whether he's lying to you or telling you the truth. Because when life is tough, you question everything, even God's love. We must continually accept that our salvation is a fact. We must continually accept that God loves us we must continually accept the fact that he's with us no matter what else is going on around us. Many times, Satan will attack, will attack our position in Christ. Most of us realize that we don't deserve salvation. I think if you don't, you know, you're, we get arrogant about it. But we, most of us realize, I don't deserve this gift. And Satan plays on that every time we make a mistake, every time we stumble. Every time we, need to, we realize we need repentance, he's always saying, look, you're not worth it. You're not worth it. God really can't love you because you know what? Nobody else around you would. If they knew what you were thinking, your wife would leave you in a minute. If your kids knew what you thought of them, they'd never come back. And that's what he did. Well, God, if he saw what you're doing, which he does, he will turn his back on you. And then the, he comes with the one piece of offensive weaponry, the sword. The sword was important, obviously, because it allowed the soldier to fight off the enemy. <laughs> The sword is, a, is the spirit, excuse me, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Um, this deals with the scripture. When Jesus was engaged with Satan, what was Jesus' sword? The word of God. And if that's good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for us. But even more importantly, if you have a soldier, it's like a handgun. If, you have a, if you're carrying a weapon and you don't know how to use it, you better not carry it. Because you're going to hurt other people and you're going to get it taken and used on yourself. A soldier who didn't know how to use their sword, they might as well not have one. And unfortunately, many Christians don't know how to use the sword, which is the Word of God. You need to be training in that thing. You need to use it. Jesus used it to perfection because the survival of our faith depends on it. Just coming in here and listen to me or Jerry for a bit, it's a start, but it's not all you need. You, if you knew you were going to go and fight a battle with swords in six weeks, Would you go to a 30-minute training session once a week and then not touch it for the rest of the week and come back in the next week and say, I'll get another 30-minute training session? And you knew that you were fighting possibly to the death? What would you do? I don't know about you, but I'm out there practicing my sword. I'm watching YouTube videos on that sword. I'm listening to podcasts about that sword. I'm listening to music singing about the victories of that sword. I'm doing all these things because I want to be prepared to be able to use it. Our Our faith and our survival of that faith depends on it. Let's look at verses 18 to 20. With every prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit, and to this end be alert with all perseverance and petitions for all the saints. Pray for me also, that I may be given the right words when I begin to speak, that I may confidently make known the mysteries of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may be able to speak boldly as I ought to speak. So our third check area of check is our communications check. Communications with headquarters is the difference many times between victory and defeat. Paul tells us that we are to communicate with the Father through prayer, that we're to do it constantly. He he speaks of general prayers, he speaks of specific prayers, which are petitions. He says they're to be offered up all the time. We need to be constantly in contact with our Lord so that we can be victorious. And so that we can help others be victorious in the battle that we fight. We're called to pray with perseverance. We're not to pray once and say, okay, I've done that, it's over. We're continually to pray. you got something in your life you're struggling with, you continue to pray. you got a family member you're trying to bring to Jesus, you continue to pray for them. You continue to see how God. We don't quit no matter how bad the battle looks or no matter how hopeless it seems to be. We are called to be in communication all the time. Some of you have had family members and friends that you've been praying for for years. Who've come to Jesus. What would have happened if you'd have just prayed once and said, well, or just given up because, you know, it's been 15 years, man. I've been praying for 15, 20 years, 25 years for this. It's never happened. I guess I'll quit. No, we continue to pray all, all the time. If we cut ourselves off from headquarters, if the only prayer you lift up is when we do one here at church, um, we're not communicating with headquarters. The bottom line here this morning is that we need to understand that spiritual warfare is real. We must understand the battle we fight and who we're really fighting against. Sticking our heads in the sand does not make the battle not happen. We are engaged in that battle. So my question is, what are you doing to prepare for that battle each day? Paul gives us some great insight in the passage we looked at today, but also in the things that he gave beforehand, because all those things we talked since chapter 1 will help us prepare to be engaged in that battle and not to be lying on the ground bleeding out. This morning, our praise team is going to come and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward to do that this morning. There has been a battle for your soul that was fought. And Satan thought he won that victory, but Jesus gave him a beat down. When Jesus was getting beaten and hung on that cross, Satan's like, I got him now. When he died on that cross and they stabbed him in the side and put him with him, I got him now. But God says, I got something waiting for you, buddy. And he raised, wrote, Jesus was raised on the third day. Defeated, the greatest enemy we face as far as who we are as people, death. It's been defeated. And if you would like to have eternal life with a God who loves you and who created you, we invite you to come forward this morning to, confess, to put your faith in him, to confess him as your Lord. to Repent of your sins to him. Be baptized into Him, and you're going to rise, and you're going to walk in a newness of life. You can quit carrying the guilt and shame from anything that's happened. God will take it away. If you need that, we offer you it this morning. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward. And if you're struggling, and need prayer, if you'd like to come up, I'd be glad to pray with you. Or one of our elders, Roger, would. But if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward this morning as we stand and sing. He lifted me. Amen.
0: After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Just read... When Jesus went up into the mountain with his disciples, Peter, James, and John, he was changed, and they saw him in his glory. As he was transfigured, he was acknowledged as the Son of God by the very voice of God himself. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was seen alone. That was a mountaintop experience to say the least. I can't imagine just how the disciples must have felt at that time. But the scripture says they fell down face first to the ground, terrified. I guess so. Can you imagine your feelings? Jesus glorified. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. And then for Moses and Elijah, who have been dead for years and years and years, to drop down beside Jesus and start talking with him. And then a bright cloud covered them as a strong reverberating voice of authority was heard. Oh, Lordy. Oh, Lordy. What an experience. What an experience. Yes, it truly was a mountaintop experience. As we come to the table of the Lord just now, this too should be a mountaintop experience for us. This should be a high point, the high point of our week an experience to carry us through the entire week being with Jesus sharing with Jesus I don't think that we're going to hear a strong voice of authority here this morning but we do hear a voice it is the voice of Jesus as he says do this in remembrance of me. Eat this bread, drink of this cup, and fellowship with me, just as Peter, James, and John did on the mountain so many years ago. This should be such a grand experience that we would respond, even as Peter did at first, Lord, This is too good to end. This is too good to end. This is great. I want this mountaintop experience to go on forever. Well, this sweet fellowship that we experience here at the table, or this sweet fellowship that they had, rather, on the mountaintop, couldn't go on forever. There was work to be done. And this mountaintop experience here at the table with the Lord can't go on forever with us today. There's work to be done. But this experience here at the table, fellowshipping with the Lord Jesus, should bolster us to go forth ready to meet another week of opportunities to let our light shine. Let's shut out all else, as we come to the table of the Lord, and be strengthened by this time of sweet fellowship on the mountain. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms no sweeter fellowship than here with Jesus. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to fellowship on the mountain with Jesus. Help us to be bolstered and strengthened and encouraged and uplifted to go forth to the work that you have for us to do this week.
1: On the inside of your bulletin, we have our announcements for this week. Uh, there'll be no youth activities uh, this evening or this afternoon because Jerry's gonna be with the senior, uh, junior high kids at camp from Sunday through Friday. Elders and preachers, we get together today at 3.30. Um, Stitches Love meets, leadership team meeting is Tuesday. Uh, primetime Friday, we're gonna be, going to be at Pit Stop, the first 30 that jump in, we'll have the opportunity to go. It's supposed to be really good yeah, i've not been there yet so i'm looking forward to it also you see an opportunity with care net and uh, operation christmas child we're still looking for uh, different school supplies and you can see the announcement about that so we encourage you to take note of that yesterday we had the uh, lady spam i mean the lady spa plus event and boy that was fun if you didn't get a chance to go that you really missed out and uh, maybe we'll do it again one of these days i don't know don't know if they like the guys enough to invite us back again but I knew today I wasn't going to preach on gluttony, so uh, that just got taken off the sin list for yesterday. Um, we also, uh, so in the back of your bulletin, we have a lot of things to pray about also. Our men's ministry pancake breakfast had a great, uh, had a great turnout, many new faces to that. We're praying for uh, some, a lot of special concerns that are happening around the world, praying for health concerns. Uh, Gayla skipped church this morning, I don't know why. Now, Gayla's uh, recovering from a kidney stone procedure, so hopefully we'll see her soon and uh, keep praying your prayers. We have many others that we've been praying for. Ken Martin was back with us at church last Sunday, so that was really good to see. Moving a little slow, but considering what he went through, he's doing really well. Uh, we have our shut-ins that we've been praying for, and we're praying for um, the local schools here as our outreach, and we're praying for Bo- Boise Bible College as our mission. So at this time, let's stand together, and I'll give you a moment uh, to be able to lift the Lord, lift your hearts to the Lord in silence as we go into, excuse me, a time of silence, and then I will close this with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we're so, we're so blessed to be able to communicate with you And Father, I know that these aren't the only prayers we lift up to you, but we have a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling, and I just ask that you be with them. We thank you for the blessings that we've had with you. And Lord, uh, we pray that you continue to bless the missions that we support, that you be with our local schools as they try to educate our young people. And Father, I thank you that we had the opportunity to come together to worship this morning. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, that we can do so with hearts of joy, and that we can realize that we are in a battle, and we can be victorious through you.
0: for church this morning. Mm-hmm. Have a wonderful week in the Lord, everybody.